Hello everyone and welcome to the Affinity Podcast. My name is Alex and today I'm very pleased to be talking to our guest, Dan, or as many people know him, ALK Alters. Dan has found a comfortable amount of fame within the MTG community for his fantastic altar work on cards, crossing throughout Magic's history and crossing styles of art and production that gives his work endless variety and intrigue. With large numbers of followers across various social media applications, artwork praised by some of the biggest names in the game, and an overall art connoisseur himself, there are few people else qualified to be called an expert on proxies in Magic the Gathering. Hi, Dan. Hi, uh, thank you for that wonderful and very flattering introduction. Absolutely deserved. Now, the first thing that I want to, and I really need to ask you, something that's been rattling around in my brain uh, since we've been talking, because I have read Wikipedia articles, I've asked everyone I know, and no one knows the answer to this. Please, can you tell me, what does ALK stand for? Oh, um... I'm not going to reveal what it stands for, oh. and it's it's not anything like super secret. <laughs> um, it's only because I'm really actually really bad at making screen names. So <laughs> I, um, when I was like very very young, um, I'm almost 35. So when I was around nine or ten, when we first got the internet, I like had to like you know start coming up with a screen name. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I based my screen name off of something in that fandom and I've stuck with it ever since. Right. Um, and ALK is like the initials of that screen name. Sure. Uh, but I don't want to give it away just so uh, uh, all of the embarrassing <laughs> stuff I've done on the internet gets revealed. That's fine. It's literally, I just thought, well, I may as well find out. I'll do some research. <laughs> Maybe seem prepared. It's like, no, it was some type of like long-term disease. I'm like, that can't be that. Surely not. <laughs> No, oh. it's it's actually probably. I think the the name itself, like, it's not a super secret. It's on like my Magic Online and my spell, like all my like my spell tables linked to that Wizards account. Yeah. So like, if you ever play maybe in spell table, you'll see it. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. On to maybe a more difficult question. Obviously, rather an exponent subject, but pretend I'm an absolute idiot. Don't have to pretend very hard. Can you tell me? In your definition, in your opinion, what is a proxy? So a proxy is a um, an object that represents something in the most vague terms. Mm. Um, it's a, an object that stands in for something. In the terms of magic cards, a proxy is a uh, an object that stands in for a... Um, a magic card produced by Wizards of the Coast. And there are a couple ways um, that they are used both officially and unofficially within the game. So officially, within the rules of the game, um, you can have a proxy approved by the head judge in an event to replace a card in your deck. That happened like during the Nexus of Fate times in standard when the only version of nexus of fate was foil and the foils could curl really badly right. and so um 
there are instances of just like taking a, a basic land and writing Nexus of Fate <laughs> over them, and that's an official proxy. That's brilliant. So, so um, the, what, what's the difference then? What's the difference between a proxy, a playtest card, and then from those, like a counterfeit card? What's the difference between those then? Um, so a counterfeit card is a card that is produced to look like uh, a real official Wizards of the Coast magic card. A counterfeit card is meant to deceive you right. into buying something that is not officially made. Um, wherein as a, a, a proxy should not be presenting itself as an official magic card. Um most, if not all, reputable proxy makers have that laid out on their work, um, that it's not an official card. Yes, I do know on Oreos it does say on them somewhere like proxy card or this is not an actual magic card, something like that. Yes, and also not for sale. Yes, not for sale, which is something that, because the reason I came about doing this and talking to a lot of other proxy people, which is the word I've had to use now, proxy people, people that produce proxies, um, <laughs> is because we started doing a video, started scripting something, talking about proxies and all that jazz that goes along with that. And the more and more I started doing it, because I came into thinking, oh, I know what I'm talking about. I've been playing Magic for now and a decade now. The more I started scripting it, the more I realized, oh, no, I'd know nothing about this. Because there were so many little things, like what you just mentioned, of saying, these cards aren't for sale. I had no idea why every single proxy I saw had to have that. So why every single proxy artist had to have that on their uh, accounts, on their Twitters, everything. Could you explain why that is? Yeah, so the reason that is, is because... Most again, most proxies, all proxies that should have not for sale on them contain Wizards of the Coast intellectual property that mm. includes things like trademarks, including the mana symbols and the tap symbol. Um, but it also contains copywritten work. Um, and so the the text of a card itself is copywritten work. All right. Um, so like the rules text of a card. And so all of that is intellectual property that is owned by Wizards of the Coast. So it would be illegal to sell it. Right. That makes a lot more sense. But then everyone does have sort of like, let's say for example, if you had a Patreon where you produce the artwork, that is then given away. I believe that's how that works. Um, yeah, and there are there are some sort of areas, for example, there are things like a lot of people do things like art that they create themselves. And yeah. then it, this goes back even before proxy makers were widely available is, you know, star city games would sell tokens. Yes. It still does. I'm pretty sure other yes, places sell tokens and those, you know, they contain, you know, the word squirrel on them. Um, and that's fine because squirrel is a common English yeah. word. You can't trademark the word squirrel. You can't <laughs> copyright it um, as a game piece. So that's fine to like you know print a card that says squirrel and have art that you own on it, and then um, give that away or sell yeah. that. And that's the same way. For example, my Patreon, all of the art that I use is public domain art. So it's art that was created. <laughs> Uh, or that the artist has died 75 years ago and it's firmly in the public domain and that it um, 
and that it's the same thing. It's either, you know, a, a land or a creature that is just a, a common term. Yeah. Well, that's honest. So from that, just bringing over like, the art you use from other people, and it's like, oh, it's public domain art. Why, as personally an artist, why did you start making proxies? What drew you like, I want to do this? Because don't wrong, they're all amazing, and I love you for making them and putting that into the world. But what drew you personally to actually making them? So I've always been, I was much more interested sort of in the graphic design and... Um, custom card making almost to begin with. So I, this is again a, a story that um, begins with my days being young on the internet. This time I was about 11 or 12. Wow. And I was really into, as you know, most people around my age then were really into Pokemon and into the Pokemon trading card game. And there were, uh, I was, for some reason I was just, you know, <laughs> It's hard for, again, it's hard if you aren't as, like, sort of old as I am, and I don't know how old you are. Um, I'm 29. To imagine, 29, so a little bit younger, but yeah. still, like, the internet sort of pre-consolidation of everything onto Reddit and Twitter and that sort of thing. So yeah. You could just, like, it was really sort of hard to find stuff, and, like you would just stumble upon stuff. Look, it, that sort of happens in Reddit. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, like, so I saw an image that was, like, a Pokemon card, but it wasn't an official Pokemon card. It was someone who had done a, a custom card, what we, in the Magic community today, would call it a digital altar or a custom card. Um, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then I found like a place that had resources for doing that. And was like, I can do this. Um, and, you know, I was 12. I barely knew how to work any <laughs> image editing program. And I was like, I couldn't do this. But, you know, it, that just like inspired this passion for graphic design and sort of um, TCG card design that has always stayed with me. Well, it's an incredibly cute story. I like that. <laughs> so... Um, so we've got the proxies, we've got the artwork for them, where it comes from, and need a little bit of the legality for it. Mm -hmm. So now, bigger question, maybe very obvious to us, but just for anyone listening, why would someone use a proxy? So, apart from the sort of tournament reasons that we've discussed earlier mm. your card your official card for a tournament is damaged or unplayable under tournament guidelines um in a non-sanctioned format like commander most people use proxies because magic cards are expensive <laughs> expensive uh, cardboard is expensive <laughs> yeah and so, um, especially, I'd say, you know, there are some cards that are artificially expensive because they're on the reserve list. Yeah. There are some cards that are just artificially expensive so beyond being on the reserve list. And then there are cards that are expensive, and if you're going to play a good number of decks, you need a lot of them. For example, Fetchlands and Shocklands yeah. are... A, a great candidate for that where the the cheapest ones start at about ten dollars and that doesn't seem too bad but if you're 
building a lot of decks and you want to have those in your mana base, it adds up extremely quickly. Yes. So we got an idea of, like, obviously magic cards cost a lot of money, so people using that to obviously try and forego that. For example, like we've got something like 34 decks between us. A lot of them are red. A lot of them would love to run Jessica's Will, but we don't have... 20 odd copies of Jessica's Will. <laughs> as much as I would like that. So, yeah, obviously. Or, uh, or Dockside Extortion. Do- <laughs> that card needs to be printed into the ground very quickly. I mean, that's one of the that's the perfect example of a card that's like, yeah, Dockside Extortion is like, what, $60, $70? Yeah. Here? I don't know. You're in Easily. England. So, it's, it's, it's expensive beyond the point of being reasonable i'd say yeah it is very much one of those cards that it's like um like scavenging ooze when that was first printed i was first printed i believe in like some really limited product but now it's been reprinted so many utterly times as pennies which mm-hmm. i don't think dockside will ever get to that point i'd like it to but i don't think it will <laughs> But yes, obviously people want to use proxies to try and get around the idea of it as well. Or even just um, like something that people have been telling you about is the idea of using it for playtesting that this, for example, um, New, Ka- New Capena is getting out and people know, oh, is this Obnix actually really good in my deck? I'll make up a proxy of that, try it out, see if it worked, and then maybe go on and buy it. Yeah, and those sort of playtests, like... Very like quick playtest proxies. They tend to be, you know, someone writes over a basic land or something. Yeah. Oh, the worst one we ever saw was a friend of ours. This was back about five years ago, who was testing out a new list for uh, modern, and he'd proxied a basic forest for. He, he wanted it to be a basic forest. The card he used to proxy it was a Liliana of the Veil. And he just wrote basic forest on a sticky oh, no, note Lily. and put it over Liliana the Veil. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh. I have like, like I have a friend who he had just like he had moved and he hadn't gotten all of his decks like <laughs> back together and stuff yet. So he's playing a game, he's like, Okay, well all the like the planes in this deck are just mountains, you know? Like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, that's a good one. Um, and I think the, uh, now we see a little bit more is that sort of customization angle for proxies. It's the same thing that um, makes Alter Sleeve and Mythic Frames also very, very popular is Commander players especially really do like to personalize their decks. Absolutely. The, I think the only time in recent era we've had a game with someone who has proxies in the deck, not because we say no it's not something we have it's just circumstance mm. the only time is they said oh my deck contains proxies all the basic lands are not legal and there were these beautiful like Edo era paintings for plains and mountains because they had uh, I forget it was one of the new it was Ishin that was it and they had mm. these lovely altered arts for their um Plains and mountains, and they were fabulous. And it was just to bling out the deck to make it more Japanese themed. Yeah, yeah. And so you'll see people do that with with themed stuff, or just to make it fancier. Everyone, commander players are nothing if not magpies. Yes. <laughs> so we've got this lovely idea of things being really expensive, not everyone having infinite money, and equally playtesting them. So if that's the case, 
Why do you think some people don't like the idea of it, then? There are a couple of reasons. Um, I think it's one of the things is, and I, I sometimes do feel this myself, and it's, well, if I paid for these cards, why shouldn't you? Yeah. And that's that's a crappy thing to think. I mean, you know, we we all want to play the game. We all want people to play with. Um, and I'm also one of those, like, I, you know, I, I really love the game and I'm not a, like a hardcore collector collector, but I do like, you know, having rare and expensive cards. Yeah. And so like that feeling of having the card that is quote unquote real to me, like it does matter to me, even though I know like intellectually it's kind of pointless, but yeah. It still feels good to me. Yeah, it's the, it's the um, disconnect between front, uh, frontal cortex and hind lizard brain of this thing valuable, I know it valuable, therefore feel good. This mm -hmm. thing not valuable, ergo it's not as good to feel. A, a friend of mine had a good way of seeing it of it's the difference between waiting in line to go on a roller coaster and someone being allowed to go straight on. You're both going to yes. get there at the same time, but you feel mm -hmm. you've earned that because you've waited for it. You've put in that little mm -hmm. bit of effort to get it. Which, again, you're both going to go on the roller coaster. <laughs> but it's a good point. The Another reason that people have brought up, and I think it's been pronounced a little bit with Spell Table and, you know, not being able to play in person a lot the last few years is being able to read the game state. Mm. Um, magic players, I think any sort of game you want there to be a certain amount of uniformity within the game pieces so that it's easy to read and parse the game states. Um, the obvious counterpoint to that is that Wizards of the Coast themselves seems to be going full in on making weird versions of every card they yeah. release nowadays, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard to argue that you know, proxies are really the issue nowadays. Yeah, they, they used to have, like, lightning bolts, I think there was a putrefy or a cryptic command where there were, like, full art cards with no text on them at all beyond the name. But, yeah, I said there are cards people now say, oh, well, I can't clearly understand what this card is. It's like, well, you can ask. Asking is acceptable. Yeah, and it, it's like, okay, Wizards of the Coast prints special, super cool uh, Japanese versions of the Strict Saving Mystical Archives. Yeah. It's like, I can't read Japanese. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like this card is, I only, you know, I only know what the card does just because I have the Oracle text memorized in my head and I know yeah. what it is. Well, like, it's <laughs> strangely enough, we did actually have that literally about two weeks ago where someone was playing. It wasn't a mystical art one, it was just a Japanese card because. Um, different mm -hmm. languages are cheaper and I do speak Japanese and he went Alex what does this say and I was like I'm not a judge let me try and <laughs> translate this quickly but yeah I, 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 oh. I do think there is some validity to that argument and I think it's but again it, it comes there. there is a point counterpoint yeah so do you personally use proxies when you play I <laughs> For the most, I don't. 
Um, I don't, again, because I, like, I have that lizard brain part <laughs> of me that sort of likes the real card, uh, but as I've, I've started um, making more decks, now it's like, okay, for the shock lands and the fetch yeah. lands, I'll throw in proxies, because I don't, it's just, there's no point. Um, like, if I wanted to, like, certify that I owned, you know, a, uh, a godless shrine. I could pull any <laughs> other deck out of my bag and be like, "Here's one." Um, but I've also I've found, and this goes sort of into the the third reason about proxies that people tend to have an issue with. It turns to power level, hmm. um, and you know the the question is when people when you're proxying a card to sort of play with long term the most powerful cards tend to be the most expensive. Now, I know there's tons of examples either way where that's not the case, but it tends to line up in Magic that the most powerful cards are the most expensive ones. Um, and so if you're proxying expensive cards, you're likely proxying powerful cards, and that can affect the matchup you have in a game of Commander. Um and so I think it's very impingent on... And I don't... It's it's difficult, right? Because I don't think people shouldn't be allowed to play with their decks or, like... But at the same time, like, if you are bringing a, a deck with some powerful proxies in it, you should... That should be part of your pregame conversation and you should... Um, you should know that, like, your deck is going to fit into, you know, this slot in the power level. Yeah. If you turn up with a deck and you say, look, I'm proxying basic lands. Okay, fair enough. I'm proxying a crater hoof and a finale of devastation. Like, um, that's a bit different. Yeah. Or, like, you know, um, like, I had a, a proxy Gaia's Cradle in one deck. <laughs> And it was it was an all creature deck, and it wasn't that strong. But I was like, I eventually took it out. I was like, I don't feel like, hey, I don't feel like having this conversation every time I play this yeah. deck. And B, I do sort of, and this is as, a, and I only put it in after you know I I bought an actual Guy's Cradle and like had it in another deck, so I could have been like, oh, I actually own this card. But it's, I just didn't, you know, I feel like there are certain. There's what I sort of think about that power level proxy argument, and this is a little biased on my point because I have a lot of commander decks, um, is that certain cards and certain play experiences I want to have in some decks and I don't want them to have in other decks. It's like your Jessica's Will example. Yeah. Like, there's some, like, it, I probably own two Jessica's Wills and so they're only in two decks and I don't really feel like buying more to put in more of my red decks. Mm. Like, I'd rather have that variety of experience. It's the same thing with Gaia's Cradle or you know, any other sort of super powerful card so that on, you could play like that. On that, do you feel like if, let's say in a magical world, all LGSs were completely fine with proxies and then magic fests and proper sanctioned tournaments, no proxies allowed. In that, 
do you think then if everyone was fine with proxying, do you think that would then probably lead to more or less homogeneity in decks? If everyone can have Gaius Cradle, would everyone not then have Gaius Cradle, do you think? That's something I was actually thinking about earlier. <laughs> it's like Gaius Cradle is so weird as neat. I I think if Gaius Cradle was if like they abolished the reserve list and reprinted Gaius Cradle into the ground and everyone could have a Gaius Cradle, you know, that card would be banned. And the only reason it's not banned is because it's so it's not in every like it's limited to be in everyone's decks. Um, because of the cost. And so I probably think if, you know, if everyone was 100% cool with Proxian, probably, you know, Gaius Cradle will be an evergreen deck. But it's hard, it's hard to tell. It's not, especially with stuff like Gaius Cradle. Like, so the reserve list acts as really weird sort of buffer. It's, it, it seems really without putting too much of negativity on it, it seems really gatekeepery with the price of it. But then equally, every hobby has that. Like, if you want to play 40k, you need to get the models. Yeah, and I sort of, what I like about the the weird, like, print 15 versions of every card thing that Wizards is doing now is, you know... It, if you just want the card, it's likely available for free, for pretty cheap. Hmm. Um, and if you want the super fancy version of the card, you can pay you know tons and tons of dollars. And you see that with the extreme with the the Hitasugu, which is only expensive because it's that rare. Yeah. Like, and like the regular version of Hitasugu is. A dollar, less than a dollar? Yeah. Well, it was that case with, um, because I really wanted to, and I did eventually, um, uh, Rin and Siri that were only there because, only expensive, because they were $40 at one point. And this is not a, like, they're not great. They're only good as a legendary commander for Naya. But because of the restriction of it, because of COVID, people couldn't get and buy a box from their local game store, which was the only way to get Rin and Siri. So they were artificially inflated. So <laughs> I did see loads of people just literally printing off Rin and Siri and be like, this is my commander now, I'll wait. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And I, I do think we need to sort of balance our expectation that magic like i i want everyone who wants to play magic to be able to play magic um but it's an expensive hobby and like i could like if if they're if you know proxying if someone wants to proxy their old deck and that's the only way they can get into magic then i think they should do it I, I, you know, I don't think the the hobby being a gatekeepery by its own expense is a good thing. That's one of the things I dislike about Warhammer is the same thing. Yeah, and it's it's one of the like at the end of the day when like when Wizards um had that arena economy stream and they released the the fifty dollar wild card bundle. It's like why would you play? arena and pay 50 bucks for this one bundle of wild cards that could maybe buy you part of a standard deck yeah. for arena but you could buy a triple a video game yeah exactly 
I I have an entire thing about Arena with buying a literal invisible product that wizards can at any point just snap the fingers and have it be deleted. But that's an entirely different um, conversation to have. <laughs> so I, I that's you know I think I think as a community we do sort of want to have it both ways. Yeah, and that's not great. Some, like we want to show off our fancy cards and our expensive cards and all of that and we like I think the game of magic generally wants to have that sort of rarity and prestige even when it goes back to Black Lotus yeah um, but if the game is to survive it needs to keep growing and it needs to be able to bring in people and that's the, the concern that's the good thing about proxy if they can just bring people sort of saying like oh I don't have the money to invest in making a fabulous commander that keeps up with all my friends proxy and then bit by bit swap the proxies out for the real cards which is something I always tell people is a really good idea for it and then it's just the idea of okay getting it off and going to it from there and making it more accessible to everyone mm-hmm. With the idea of that, how do you think that relates to something more like, let's say, CDH? Do you think more people will be able to play CDH if people were okay with proxies? I think CDH, the community itself, is probably much more okay with proxies than the regular EDH community, at least from what I know. I'm not an expert in CDH. But but isn't that so Um, weird that that's where it's okay? But it... I think it's like they're playing with the most expensive cards to begin with, and they want everyone to be playing on an equal playing field, right? Like, so, and I think that's a really interesting idea. And I don't know if you read the, um, the, the tournament report from the Marchesa tournament they did a couple weeks ago. Yes, I did, yeah. Yeah, and that was really interesting about proxies, too, because, you know, as an official tournament, you're not allowed to have proxies, but CEDH is this format, again, full of the most powerful and some of the most expensive cards available, and, like, that, the inability to to do it, uh, to have something like that be a, a hosted or viable thing is just very difficult and I, I I found that report really interesting and really um, enlightening about what you know what these people are trying to do with their end of the format so the, we have one friend who has a properly full CDH deck with dual lands tutors costs more than my house it's <laughs> genuinely it's it's he's even pimped it out it's foil as well and we're just like how have you done this why have you done this um but the big thing that he kept saying to us was that he didn't care if people proxy cards he just wanted someone to play with mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. spoke so much that little inner child of i just want someone to play this game with me <laughs> because you know i've just got on christmas no one's gonna play it with me whereas it's the opposite someone has spent this much money time and cultivated this deck that they just want someone to play the game with them because cdh is a completely different game i don't know if you've played much cdh i have not played any but i agree it's a completely different game but that, i like that because it's 
it's egalitarian, right? Yeah. Like it's about knowing how to play the game instead of how much money you have. Even though a lot of people with a lot of money go into it. It's true. It's better investment than gold sometimes. <laughs> and that's something I was talking with um Matt's total MTG about the other day is the fact that um like if all things being equal with proxies, with real world money, like me and him and let's let's say Josh Lee Kwai, very obviously a very, very good commander player, and we're both mm -hmm. yeah. We could sit down with the most of money in the world with our decks. And we could still probably give Melissa Del Toro a pre-con, and she'd probably still kill us all. Probably. If, you know, all things being equal. Commander's interesting. Like, skill-wise, I agree, yes. But, yeah. you know, Commander's fun because of politics. Exactly. And that's probably <laughs> one of the reasons why proxies do have that probably a little bit more home there, because of the fact that people want to play the game for the experience rather than like you tend to have like, modern standard place on arena obviously all have that 1v1 we're playing a game we're going to win the game commanders a lot more i want to show off this funny thing i can do mm -hmm. yeah it's it would be really interesting because i doubt like from what I understand, and I don't understand very much, so I could very much be wrong. Um, like tournament players just don't have that sort of connection to individual pieces of cardboard that more casual players do. Mm. So it would be really interesting to be to go ahead and ask, like, because I think most tournament players would be very cool with proxy because they wouldn't have to spend as much money, and then they could have the best versions of their deck, and they could play like the best matchups. True. They can have more money for um, foils or actually spending <laughs> on whatever people spend their money on. But that's actually a really good point. The fact that if people were, were say, here is a modern event, but proxies are cool, how many more people would then turn up to that modern event? Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to see. So, just something I do want to talk specifically to you about Dan, is the fact that as I've been looking through your extensive library <laughs> of altars, the thing that really struck me is the fact that I could not take two of them together and go, oh, this is an ALK altar. They are so oh, wow. phenomenally different. It is ridiculous. And I, I was asking other proxy people about this, because I was like, I've got ALK on. What, what, what good art thing could I ask him <laughs> to make it seem like I know what I'm talking about? And someone mentioned this, and I thought, really? And the, the second he said it, I thought, it's so obvious. And that's the card frames. Is that literally, the more I looked at it, it's so obvious. But there's not an inch of the card when you're proxying them or churning the art out for them that's wasted. Every single inch of it does seem like there's been thought and care put into it of, do I keep this? Do I move this? Does this call need to be done? Shall I shift this here or there? And you just genuinely seem like there's been a lot of painstaking thought put into them. Now, you might tell me, no, it's wrong, Alex. I've just put them where I want them. But <laughs> no, you're, you're right for the most part. Um, so... Part of that comes with being a perfectionist, which is both uh, a blessing and a terrible, terrible curse. <laughs> um, it's 
I there's part of working on proxies and working like say you're taking a very distinct usual card frame that Wizards of the Coast does. Like I when I started um, Ultimate Masters had come out in the box topper style, which now is in every set that sort of extended art for yeah. just the art. Um, and I wanted to see if I could do that. And I did a ton of cards like that. I probably did four to five hundred cards like that um, because it was fast. But <laughs> and I was I was sort of getting my um, my legs under Photoshop for a bit. But it got it felt it became very assembly liney. Hmm. Um, and it became very much like filling out a template. Right. And um, I don't know if you've ever used, like, if you had ever used Magic Set Editor um, back in the day, like that program where it's just literally a template and then you fill in the card stuff and make a card we're from it. Cu- we're currently using it to try and make um, little rules for our LGS's Commander League. But yes. Yes. Yeah. And so it felt. It felt like I didn't feel satisfied creatively. Um, and one of the nice things about um, doing these uh, alters, proxies, whatever you want to call them, is you aren't beholden to the same rules that apply to, to Wizards of the Coast. Mm. Um, you know, Wizards, they have to worry about produ- like actually producing hundreds of these cards every single month, and they have to worry about readability and legibility, which are very important. And I, I try to, to work on that, um, even though I'm, I'm probably breaking a ton of rules about accessible design when I do certain proxies but like i i try to view these days my proxies my alters as art pieces in that like there is a uniqueness to each one um and there's something i can do to to make it fit and it's all it all goes back to the art Hmm. um like because i feel That's what. That's the other dif- sort of other difference is when you're designing a magic card, it's a game piece, right? Mm. And the art's important. It's a very important part of the game piece. But so are the rules, text, so are all of these other things, and it has to. You have to be able to scan it very quickly with all the other game pieces in your hand or on the field. Um, but when I'm doing my work, it's about showcasing the arts. And or if there's some other concept that I want to pull in, um, but that's like it all just focuses around that, and then it's you know being able, and that's why you know I I tend to get very obsessive about those small details. Is like, well, you can it's you can do it in Photoshop, right? I work in Photoshop and there's a million different little buttons and sliders you can mess around with and customize it. And then it's, it's some making something that feels really true to the art that's in the, the piece. So from that, so you are very well known and very well versed in your art. Well, that's just clear from reading 
descriptions of your cards of the fact that your recent ones, the April um, patron rewards, where you're going through, of, here's the art style, here's where it references from, here's where it draws inspiration from, and I'm like, this person understands art because I don't. <laughs> and that sounds very impressive to me. So, what I'd like ask you a tiny bit of a personal question what is your favorite piece of art? Not just magic, but first favorite piece in general. Um, it's probably something by Van Gogh. Um, it's probably either Starry Night or um, the Sunflowers. Um, the Sunflowers is personal just because it was in my parents' kitchen when I was growing up, and so it just like was always there as part of sort of like my home and my family. And not, not original, I hope. No, <laughs> I wish. And, you know, Starry Night is just like amazing. It's so like I I've never I someday I want to see the original. But my my favorite artwork, which just has my own personal connotation, is the one that's behind me, which is uh, the RK Post Lightning Angel. Which oh, I love that piece of art, the RK Post Lightning Angel. What I love about RK Post's work, and you can see it in a lot of his magic art, is like at first glance, it looks like pretty much most other pieces of magic art. Like it's like a light angel, and she's got lightning. Yeah. And then there, there are all these weird details. Yeah. In his art, that it's like, what is going on with this angel? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, I originally like he did a lot of the cards that when I first started playing magic, like um, just some for Fulminator Mage, which when I started playing magic was a random sideboard card in the deck that I really wanted to play in modern, and it was a thirty dollar card. I thought I can't afford a thirty dollar card. I need four of them when I first started <laughs> playing out, and it was that sort of style that Post does really, really well, where it looks, as you say, really simple, and then the more you look at it, the more you're like, I could just keep looking at this for several hours and still find things that are new which I was very much like about it which thankfully, well, thankfully uh, just sashays slightly into one question I always like to ask at the end of a podcast for everyone who does play Commander if you could unban one card or ban one card what would it be? I would honestly, if I if I personally could ban one card, it would be Smothering Tithe. I don't. <gasps> Smothering Tithe. I Oof, hate it. Contentious. <laughs> I, I I think it's annoying. I think it does bad things to the game. I hate it so. M I hate playing it because like, baby pay too. I hate it so much. <laughs> is is Smothering Tithe worse than Ristic Study then? Um. No, Ristic, Ristic Study is bad because, well, I think I've had games where, like, Ristic Study has been tolerated for way too long at the table, which is any amount of tolerating Ristic Study is, but, like, Ristic Study, you can, the infuriating about Smothering Tide is you can't plan around it as much as you can with Ristic Study, because yeah. Ristic Study, you're like, okay, I cast the spell, I add the one, whatever. Like, Smothering Tithe, you're like, okay, I draw, I immediately have to decide whether I'm spending two of my mana for this turn, and then, like, whatever, and then, you know, of course the Smothering Tithe player is going to make you draw extra cards at weird points. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we have... Like, Mystic Study, I at least, like, feel just... A, and it's two instead of one. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think we have um, in um, p- teaching called a cognitive load, the amount of stuff you expect someone to be able to know in a short amount of time. So drawing a card and immediately knowing what you're going to do on your turn, do you require that two mana? And then obviously yeah, someone it's... just goes, oh, I would like to blue Sun Zenith myself for seven. That's good until you give someone seven mana. Yeah, and two two mana is if like smothering tithe was one mana, I wouldn't hate it so much. But two is just like they're just getting the treasure. Like people yeah. like stop caring and they just give them the treasure and then they have a million mana. It. Oh yeah, I, I feel like it was Josh Lee Kwan, a podcast who said like if so, as soon as someone's got six extra treasures, treat it like they've got infinite mana because they may as well have. Yeah, it's so it, true. It's I, I I don't like that card and I don't like it, what it does to games, but I don't think it will be banned. No. So that's a good answer. It's it's the only ramp mono white gets, so Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very, very much for coming on. It's been absolutely fabulous chatting to you. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me on. No worries. As always, Everything for Dan, Patreon, Twitter, Instagram will be in the video's description box below. You know where to find us. If you like this video, make sure to like it, subscribe for more, just like it. As always, I've been Alex, and I'll see you next time.